Welcome back, everyone, for episode 26 of the Zero Analytics Podcast. Today, we explore the journey of a longtime supporter of karting, not only as a racer, but also as a father of young drivers in the sport today. Experiencing karting as a driver back in the 1990s and seeing the growth in the sport of the heyday of WKA, to circling back around and getting his boys into racing. We talk about the changes that have taken place over the years and share some old stories and tales from the past. This guest has taken time to dive deep into the world of data provided by Micron devices utilized in the sport today and share some advice on how listeners can get started using that data to help their own racing program moving forward. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without any further ado, my friend, Mr. David Smith. David, is that, what do you like to be called? David, Dave? It's, I've been called Dave. I've been called David. Uh, usually I just go with whatever you're comfortable with. Um, okay. It's kind of half and half, man. Some of my friends call me Dave. Some some people call me David. My wife calls me David. So, so. That's the official name then, definitely, David. The, yeah. Yeah, so that's good, man. Well, tell me about, um, David, where are you from? And kind of what's your current involvement these days in go-karting? And then a little later on, we'll touch base on how you got into it and kind of what brought you to this point. Yeah, um, I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina, um, born and raised. Um, right now, my, my little boy uh, races. Uh, we race all over the southeast, um, anywhere from, from uh, Southern Carway and Loris uh, to Triple T. Um, we've gone on as far as, um, Liberty, um, so just kind of up and down the East coast a little bit. Um, I have, uh, my oldest Jack started at the end of 2016. Um, and, um, and then my, my middle child, Gavin, he just started, uh, really officially last year, uh, in red plate. Um, so yeah, so that's. That's pretty much what we do. We we go a couple times a month, um, trying to to do our best in the. It almost seems like the the melting pot of go kart racing. <laughs> no, it's definitely the, the hotbed of so. yeah, definitely, definitely the hotbed of where everything is. And um, so you you know like kind of getting back into it with your kids, and you you know you started racing back in the nineties. Um, if you had to pick out one thing that has has changed the most over those, you know, roughly 30 years or so. Like what's, what's something that, that really sticks out to you? Like, especially when you got back into it back in like uh, 2016 and 17 with your boys. Um, well, man, that's a hard question because like, I feel like so much has changed since like 1990. Um, I knew I would have to say from the time I, I left racing in 2002, Versus the time we got back into it, it is definitely the tire game. Like back when I was running uh, at the turn, you know, of 2000, 2001, I mean, we, we had multiple sets of tires in the trailer, you know, and you would change comp, um, you know, versus if the track was, was biting up a lot or, or it wasn't biting, you went to a softer compound tire, but nothing to the degree of what it is now like it is it is mind-blowing the the stuff you have to do to prepare a tire like i feel like 
back then we could decide on Friday if we wanted to go racing Saturday. Now it's almost like you got to prepare three or four weeks ahead of time for a race that you're going to do, you know, next month, you know, preparing the tires and getting ready for it. So I would have to say that's probably the biggest change that I've seen. Right. No, I agree, man. It's, um, it's funny, like every once in a while, <clears throat> like someone that's going to kind of travel for the first time or do something like they'll, you know, someone that's local, they'll give me a call and be like, man, what kind of tire should I prepare for next weekend at Capital City or wherever they're going, you know? And I'm just like, yeah. man, like you should have been doing this a month ago, you know, let I alone. <clears throat> so yeah, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to, um, it's hard for some people, myself included to even understand it until you see it sometimes. Um, you know, I, I raced is, for a lot of years. Def- Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say it's definitely, you know, even after racing for a while and kind of doing your own thing and feeling it, and then all of a sudden actually just going to help someone or getting someone to come help you and realize, like, how much of a difference, you know, one set to the next and, and actually seeing it, it makes all the sense, to even though you've heard the same thing 30 or 40 times. Yeah. Just, I'm going to tell you, like, if somebody told me back in 2015, before we got back into it, you could take a set of tires, bolt on, that was the same compound, the same make, everything, and and, and bolt on a different set of tires and pick up a half a second, I would have been like, you're, you're lying to me. But it is it is completely mind-blowing that you can just, you can pick up so much time and so much time just bolting on a different set of tires. That's the same well, brand. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, <clears throat> so with your kids getting back into it, or I say getting into it, you get, you know, you kind of getting back into it. Um, what are some of the things that, uh, like, as far as, like, getting them, you know, you said one's 11 and one is 7. So what kind of responsibilities do you dole out to them for the week? Do you pretty much take care of everything? Do you kind of hold them responsible um, for a little bit of it? Yeah, so they have responsibilities. Gavin, not as much as Jack does. Um, I, I'm a very big proponent of of making sure they learn what racing is about. You know, I want them to know that everybody needs help, but I want them to make sure that they don't depend on help. You know, my goal for both of them is whenever they turn 17 and they have their license, if they decide to go racing and I can't go, that they can hook up the trailer and pull it down there themselves and do whatever they need to do. So I kind of I kind of step them into it. Like, for instance, Gavin right now, his job is to clean the trailer. Like, he'll sweep it, mop it, pull everything out, you know, wipe down the counter, things like that. Um, Jack's job is he, he pulls the go-karts in, he takes the bodies off of them, the microns, the engines, the axe, um, takes the uh, the clutches off, tapes up the engine, gets everything prepped to wash, um, and then uh, and then like if he if we still have time, then then they both kind of help out washing the go karts. So right, okay, that was, that's that's cool. Um, when you how old were you when you started racing back? Um, you know, was it 1990? You said you got your first go kart. Yep. How how old were you then, and what kind of responsibilities did you have at that time? Just out of out of curiosity. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to remember. I was nine. Um, I don't I don't I don't so much remember very early on. Uh, I know that when we when we were kind of into it a year, two years, um, 
my job was to to wash the go kart and to um and to clean the trailer. That was like that was like my main responsibilities. When it came to like engine maintenance and all that stuff, you know, my my dad took care of that because he built all my engines. But back then, it, it it was a little different because you didn't pull out the axles when you were washing them. You know, right. things are the it, it it feels like the the preparation for like cleaning them and the maintenance now is a whole lot more than what it was back then. Which I guess obvious because technology has gotten way better. You know. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of like what my role was. You know, I would come home from Saturday night to racing, and then Sunday I would spend the whole afternoon cleaning the trailer and washing the go kart, and then and then probably through the week, if uh, if you know my dad needed help, I would do you know odd and end things that he would tell me to do. Um, whenever we got kind of really really into racing, like. When we by the time we hit the mid '90s, we were kind of doing the nationals and the state races, and kind of traveling all over, you know, going on Daytona and stuff. And my dad was really into building engines, so at that point, then it grew from me, you know, washing the go karts and the trailer to to breaking down in because he would probably he would usually rebuild my engine either every week or every two weeks. So I would break down the engines, wash the engine parts, and then get it ready for him to put it back together and do his thing okay when you so when you're racing back then and you're you know you're definitely in a different area than i am as far as um on the country on the east coast but like who were some like back in the mid 90s like who were some of the names that were like the top runners back then kind of more in your region this is an amazing question okay so my i feel like they were the best of the best back in the day, and m- maybe of all time, man, was Ron Moon. Ron Moon was the man. Uh, and Rodney Childers, dude, they were like, they were the bee's knees back uh-huh. Like, I remember the first the first time I went to Daytona in 95, Ron Moon went down there, and the, the stalker was the big chassis at the time. And he, the the rumor that I heard, and I don't, I don't know if this is 100% true, or not because i don't know ron but he went down there and somebody gave him a stalker to ride and those races man like the fields were like crazy tight you know like two tenths of a second separates you from first to like you know 50th and he put a straightaway on three different that week like it's it was just it was amazing and i've seen rodney childers do some stuff man with a go-kart that is it's just I don't even know how to describe it. Like that cat was in a league all by his own, by himself, as well. So those are my yeah. two top. <clears throat> I got you. I remember kind of like in the story of Roddy Childers. I remember. Well, one thing is I don't know if if you've ever seen it, but I think I want to say that um it was he was in a champ go kart. And if you remember the people that used to go around and do the the photos for the national Bruce and Susan walls, mm-hmm. um, they used to take a lot of pictures for the WK magazine and stuff. Well, they're from our area. And, um, so they always had like the, it was a bigger, probably like a, a foot and a half by two foot picture. And I think it was, and I'm pretty sure it was Rodney and a champ buggy, but he was upside down, but they took the picture as he was kind of flipping. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And it, it may have even been on like the cover or in the WK magazine at the time, but they always carry that around like in their van and stuff. I don't know if you ever if you remember that. I mean, obviously you do. You just... I, I do remember that, man. That was I remember the first time I saw that picture was in the magazine. And then, you know, when we you started because they had like a booth set up where like they would take your pictures and then you can go down and see which pictures and if you want right. to buy them or yeah. what it ate. And I've seen it up there, too. That was a wicked wreck. I remember, yeah. like, the left front getting ripped off and, like, it, you know, being pulled away from the uh, from the cart itself. That was a cool picture. And uh, another another thing is it was the, the very first national at the U.S. 13 Car Club. This was, like, in the – maybe, like, 95, 96. And uh, that's when, you know, Childers was running with um, with Mark Mode and everything. Mm-hmm. He came there in the open class. And, and back then, if you, you know, you remember, we had, like, two laps to get out there and get your time trials in. He spent the first lap, and I don't know if it was a new tie or what was going on, but he spent the first lap in open, just like riding around, like warming up the right rear, like just pulling hard left and kind of warming it up. And then on the second lap, which was his only lap to qualify, he obviously, you know, he set on the pole and ended up, you know, I think dominating the weekend or whatever. But um, it was just funny, like some of the things, even as like a younger, like kind of just starting to really pay attention to a lot of that stuff, like some of the things you remember, you know, from back in the day. Gee. One of my one of my fondest memories I have, um, and this I wasn't really close to Rodney. I like I, I've talked to him a few times back mm-hmm. when we were racing, um, but in ninety ninety six, which was my second time going to Daytona, I was was racing with. You remember Warren Smith? Do you remember that name? I I don't know. Maybe uh, from the magazines I do. Okay, so so I became really good friends with Warren Smith and he was racing with Mark Moe at the time. Um, Cause Mark Moe, when he kind of came on the scene, uh, he had uh, uh, Warren Smith and Ronnie Childers and I became good friends with, with Warren. And so I started kind of riding with him and Mark Moe at the time. And that time that, that year we went to Daytona, I was parked with Mark Moe and them. Well, the first day or back then they did it a whole week. But the first day that I raced, um, I came across light on the scales, but the go-kart was kind of so-so. Well, Rodney was really fast that year. And so Warren talked to Rodney, and that night he came into my trailer. That was back, do you remember the 007s that Olympic put out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was riding on. Rodney came, changed the caster, moved the kingpin, the kingpin, um, you know, measurement, and, uh, and the next time we hit the track, man, it was like screaming fast. So, and this, that's kind of, I don't know why that memory stuck in my head, you know, for so many years. But that was kind of really like my my big connection with Ronnie Childers. Right. All the time he was in my trailer. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Actually, one of the second podcast I did with Kevin Colburn. And, um, and he actually, I guess he listened to it and uh, he retweeted it on there. We had a bunch of, a bunch of people that listened to it. But... The guy that actually drives his, I want to say like his motorhome and stagecoach or whatever to the races for Rodney is Chris Mason. Well, growing oh, up, yeah, yeah, that's... yeah, growing up, and yeah, I mean, you would know that name too. Growing up, going down to Robinson Speed Shop, it was like Bobby Brooks, um, and actually Ron Moon built my first motor, but that's when he was actually at Robinson Speed Shop down at the Pittsville, um, like their little shop down there. But yeah, like all those guys, like listening to him, like Mason and. And Kevin Colburn, those are all the guys that I looked up to, like as I was coming up, because they raced only the state races, but they were, 
you know, like you just, I mean, they they were more like national guys, and I always looked up to them. So it was kind of cool to to have those little connections, you know what I mean, within the sport and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, Rodney and Chris were like really tight from from as far as long back as I can remember. Like I mm-hmm. remember, you remember the um, the Briggs of Stratton three hundred, like the first couple of years they did that. I yeah, believe I was Rodney. I was there. That's right. Was it? I, I, I want to say was it him and Mason that I think it I was him and Mason. I, I want to say so too, man. Like I don't want to like uh, I don't want to say something that wasn't true, but I, I mean I know I, I was I, there, I was there for the first couple, but um, but yeah, I want to like I think that's right. I think that's right. That was a big deal back in the day too. It was we, a big deal, man. Yeah, because I raced on um, three hundred laps. That's yeah, yeah, definitely. It was like during the whole North American Karting Championships and um. Because I raced junior restricted, but I raced on the small oval out back, so I couldn't race, and it was all, actually on my birthday. And um, so we went there with uh, well, actually one of my good friends, Ben Warner, and um, so we all like went up there like with our families to watch that race, and uh, that was that was a huge deal, man, for those first couple and and watching, you know, watching really the best of the best. I mean, it was it was the who's who of of asphalt and dirt and everything. Yeah, man, and especially that track too, because didn't they do it on the front straightaway at Charlotte Motor Speedway? Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, man. With a track with no banking for 300 laps, gosh knows, that had to beat you to death. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually, a few years after that, like when I was, it was, I don't exactly remember what year it was, but I, once I became old enough, I went there. Actually, I tried to qualify. I didn't make the race. But um, the thing that stuck out to me most was even like during practice and qualifying, when you rode down, I guess, the back stretch, which is actually like, the pit road, all the stalls mm-hmm. were done in, in concrete. So it's not like a like a continuous paving. It's like the concrete, every every pit stall you rumble back and forth, man. And my like my hip bones were swollen for like two weeks after that. It, it was like the craziest thing ever, how much it hurt the next day. Yeah, man. I could only imagine. <laughs> like, <clears throat> I didn't do a whole lot of asshole racing, you know. No, actually, I only tried it one time, and that that was enough for me. But um, but just the amount of like, like G's and side force you pull on a, an asphalt track is unreal. So I, mean, I can I can only imagine the bruises that you would have from something like that. Yeah, and and then to have um, so didn't Todd Miller and I don't know if did Ron Moon also did they both run it like solo without a partner too? I mean, there are a couple guys that have done that that I'm just. I'm- it's impressive just to be able to last that long, man. That's just crazy to me. Yeah, I, I want to say I've heard, I've heard of like Todd Miller doing it without like um, a relief driver. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard, man. And that, and and if that's the case, dude, that is like mind blowing. Right. I, I just I don't even know how you would do that. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. It's like. It's hard to uh, even like imagine like when you hear stories like that, and then you know a lot of guys when they talk about in my mind anyway, like when you talk about the best go kart drivers ever, for me anyway, it's the conversations always like Todd Miller and Ron Moon. You know what I mean? And um, dude, it's I don't I don't know that you're wrong if you pick either one of them, man, because it's they're uh, they were just yeah. so good at the time, you know. So I tell you, man, they were the tops of the top, man, and that's and that's legit. Mm-hmm, definitely so um so let's get back to how did um give me a little idea of kind of how you got introduced to the sport and 
and how that kind of all started for you personally back in um you know back when you said you were about nine years old back in like the early nineties. Well, so so my family wasn't really involved with racing uh, uh, up until our first stint in go kart racing. Um, my uncle really dug racing a lot. Like he he was in the NASCAR and the Cup racing and all that stuff. And he would, you know, go to a lot of races and kind of follow it a lot. And when I was, when I was, I think I was eight at the time, we, me and my father went to his house and he was watching like ESPN and it had kart racing on the TV. And I think it was like, like some road course, you know, gold cup racing or something. And he looked at me and he was like, you know, would you like to do that? And I was like, heck yeah, man. I would love to, to try a good thing because up to that point, the only thing I had was like a yard cart that we played around with throughout the neighborhood. And from that point, because um, my uncle didn't have um, any kids or anything like that, so he actually helped my father purchase our first go-kart, which um, I don't – do you remember Soul's Cart Shop back in the day? Uh, not, not offhand, man, I don't, know. Okay, so – so, so they were in Loris. So we we got in the truck. Uh, I, I don't remember what day of the week it was, but and we rode down to Loris and we picked up the my first go kart, which was a Coyote Free Roller, uh, which was an awesome name, by the way. I dig that <laughs> name. Um, and that's kind of how it started. And from that, like before that, like my father wasn't involved in racing. We were actually into music, and he would play in bands and stuff like that. And as soon as we we started racing that kind of stopped and we kind of went, we kind of slid down into a deep hole with racing like that's all we were about with racing it's like a slippery slope <laughs> yeah no i've been there before man sure so when you started racing where um where were your local tracks and i'm assuming you just at least ran local for like the first year or two right well the only tracks that i knew of for the first three or four years of me racing Racing, which you know at nine my world was really small anyway um was four-way cartway in loris which or buck creek is what they um and then i raced at conway um and for like up until about 94 that's where the majority of my racing happened like we raced every single weekend um and then in 94 they opened up a truck Back in Shalote, North Carolina, and we started going there because it was only 30 minutes from our house, where the other ones were like an hour, hour and a half. Um, and we stayed there for uh, about six months, and then after that, well, I don't know, probably about a year. And then after that, that's when we kind of started doing more traveling, you know, doing like the state races and the national races and stuff like that. So, but um, but yeah, the the very first car race that I ever went to go see in person was a state race, a North Carolina state race in Chincapin, North Carolina. Um, and I think shortly after that, that track closed down. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we started at. Okay. <clears throat> when, so back then, man, when, um, it doesn't have to be just when you just started, but back, like when you raced, uh, what were some of your favorite tracks that you really enjoyed, maybe that are not around anymore, or maybe even if they are, I'm just kind of curious. Um, I never, I'm sorry, 
Again, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. I was going to say that I, I never really started traveling till a lot until like 2001, 2002. So some of the tracks that were really big as far as me looking on the WK magazine and things like that were either not around or we really didn't go to for like bigger races. So um, just kind of curious, you being from, from down in that area, what um, some of your favorite tracks were back in the day. My all-time favorite track uh, was Conway. Man, I love that track. That You know how sometimes you just go to tracks and you're just fast. Regardless of what you do, for some reason in that track, you're just fast. And that's what Conway was for me. Like, I was always good at Conway. Regardless if we were doing something stupid with tires or whatever, even when we were off, we were still fast at Conway. And that's that has to be like my ultimate favorite track of all. Um, I like Low Country a lot. In Ainer, South Carolina, that one was a good one. Uh, that track had a lot of bite. Even with it being as small as it was, it's, it it has a lot of bite. Um, let's see. I really enjoyed Jasper, Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. That one, that's, that's probably the nicest facility I've ever been to. But straight up, the Conway is my is my tops. That, okay. that has to be the, the, the number one. Yeah, I know on a <clears throat> I brought this up before in the podcast, man, but Jasper, when I when I started really who I learned tires from was Hammer, who actually it's the Hammer that used to travel with Moon back in the day. Um yeah. So so I kind of when he moved back to Delaware, that's kind of how I got to learn tires and really start traveling and we went to Jasper, man, and it just the, from the first time I went there, we've been there, we've been back there a few times um, with me helping some kids, but um dude it just it reminded me of a campground you know like when you went there like with all the trees around and the the trees oh dude it was so awesome at night with the light shining up on the trees and then uh you know then you always have that like you always know on the other side of that little wire fence there might be an alligator looking to to bite you too (laughs) (laughs) yeah that uh, that place beautiful man it really is not to mention the track is a really nice you know bracing service but the um but uh but that that whole facility man is just it's just one of a kind it really is now i will say i i did forget um did you ever go to kershaw south carolina hanging rock no i didn't i did not no so it's a little bit different now but but back then and i would have to say that's probably if i would have to say that was probably second to conway so back in the day it was it was a really high speed racetrack. It it had like a nine and a half foot drop from the top to the bottom. It had that much banking in it. Hmm. And it's the only place I've ever seen. You remember the unlimited two cycles that they would run? That's the yes. only place I've ever seen those guys flat footed <laughs> around the racetrack. Dude, that place, like that was my introduction to drafting. Like I got schooled a couple times. <laughs> Or you just kind of get hung out to dry, and there's nothing really you can do about it. You know right. that place. Was, that place was cool. It would. Um. It would. That's probably one of the first times too that I've ever experienced where you need like the helmet strap because it was pulling your head down where you can't really see over the steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that place yeah. was awesome. That's cool, man. Yeah, no, I never had a chance to go there. Um, what up? kind of like kind of staying on the same lines of the tracks and stuff like that now kind of since you've been back into it with your kids racing um what are some of have you have you guys done any traveling at all um 
Like, what what are some um, of your favorite tracks now? Like that have kind of popped up, or maybe ones that you've never been to when you actually raced. Uh, I would have to say my favorite track now would either be Triple T um, or Southern Carway. Um, I think Southern Carway just because I'm I'm very familiar with the track. Um, but Triple T, man, that that racetrack is awesome. Like speaking strictly to uh, a race and surface kind of racetrack that place man if, if you're looking for high speed it just don't it just doesn't get any better than that racetrack it really yeah. doesn't man like the surface is always pretty smooth it always bites up a lot and it's just it's just really fast yeah i agree man i really i didn't get to go there a lot but um like i went there a couple times for the chili bowl and it seems like a racier track. A lot of times on the bigger tracks, you have one line where sometimes you get on some of the, the higher speed tracks, you can actually kind of dictate the speed by trying to pick out your line a little bit better and, and, and kind of making it a little racier. Yeah. That Triple T, man, the only thing that I would say is just beware coming out of turn four. <laughs> you <laughs> turn four, Triple T, man, you're going to feel it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, so let's, um, so we'll get back into kind of like, I guess, getting your kids back into it. So well, I guess when you took a break from go-karting, you went to work with, uh, for your parents' automotive or your automotive place, right? Tell me, um, yeah, how that all kind of, how you got out of it. Yeah. My, um, yeah, my dad came up with the idea of opening up a repair and I kind of went in with him and, um. And man, I tell you, this—that's the first time I've ever been running a business. Like I, I have a business degree, but like that's the first time, you know. It's it's one thing to learn something in theory; it's another thing to put it in practice. And at the time, my intention wasn't to get out of car racing, but dude, after after the first six months, you you, you realize that there's no there's no room for it because racing is it. Racing itself takes up a lot of time and the preparation and everything like that. And man, when you start running a business, like that's what you do 24 seven for the most part. If you're not there, you're thinking about it or thinking about ways to improve it. I guess very much like racing, you know, even when you're not at the racetrack in your head, you're still racing, you know? So, right. So it was just kind of one of those things where it kind of had to take a back seat for a good bit, you know, until we kind of got the business up and going. And then, uh, and then life kind of gets in the way, you know, you, you know, you get married, you have kids, you know, sometimes this life happens, you know? Yeah. Especially if you're doing it right. You know, I mean, if you're trying to do a business the right way, you're trying to be a husband and a father the right way, man, it, it takes a lot of time that, um, you know, I mean, and you know yourself, man, uh, kind of in the go-kart world, it's kind of a selfish thing in some aspects, you know, because of how much time and money it does take up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you ain't lying. Especially, well, both of them, really, man. It just takes a lot of money to go racing, you know, and and really a lot of time too, because it just just to be to be able to go. I'm one of those type of people. When I go to the racetrack, I try to be as prepared as I possibly can, you know. So with that, man, like I try to uh, I try to think of different situations, you know, try to try to be prepared for all kind of things, you know, 
And in doing that, it makes it easier at the racetrack, man. But during the it's it's sometimes it's a lot, you know, trying to get everything ready. So yeah, no, absolutely. And so you you know you kind of took a little break. You got into life. Um, you know, you got married. You had kids. When did go-karting kind of enter back into your life, um, you know, with your kids racing and stuff like that? Well, it actually started with my father again. We, uh, we went to lunch one day, and, he was, and we were sitting uh, in a restaurant, and he was like, Jack at the time, um, well, he was playing soccer, and, and my dad was like, you know, well, what do you think about getting Jack started in racing? And I was like, and to be honest, like my first kind of reaction to it was like, well, you know, because I, I, I know how consuming racing and the I was like, well, you know, maybe. OK, so I actually had an old banshee in my shed that, that we kept for some reason, I guess, because I always had hopes of racing again. And then it just got kind of put in the corner collecting dust. And I was like, well, I guess it wouldn't cost a whole lot of money just to let him so we kind of got it out the shed you know took it all apart cleaned it up you know and asked jack you know if it's something he would like to do and he was like oh well i think so so then i took him to a race at southern cartway and after that he was like dead hooked like he was all um and so that's kind of where it kind of started um and then uh once we kind of got you know, on the path of getting him ready to go racing. I think what really like was the, was a clincher for him is there's a racetrack in Dublin called the rattlesnake. It's a car track. And I took him down there one Saturday night while we were trying to still kind of get the go-kart and everything ready. And, uh, and there was, uh, I can't remember if it was like super street or whatever. Um, but they had like a big wreck on the front straightaway and some guy got out of his car with a steering wheel and chased another driver down the straightaway. <laughs> and I really think, man, that's what cemented. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm racing after that point. <laughs> like, he like, like if you ask him what his fondest memory is, he'll probably tell you that. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> and I'm assuming probably that your younger son is probably doing whatever your oldest son is. So that's why he's, or I guess your middle son is uh, doing whatever his big brother is doing. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, that's what I, like, go ahead. Yeah. Big, big brother's the coolest. So we try to do everything that the big brother does. So, and he kind of just, he kind of gravitated towards it. Like we've tried soccer with him. We tried, you know, a couple different kinds of sports and he just, you know, he liked basketball okay, but he just seems like fixated on racing. Like mm -hmm. that's that's what he is about. Yeah, that's how I have a two year old and uh, an eight year old. He'll actually be nine in a couple weeks. But um, and that's the thing I've noticed is like the, I mean, whatever my oldest son is doing, my youngest son is doing. You know, so and I kind of the same way. It's like I always tell people like because you've you've seen it and I've seen it. Everyone's seen it. There's um. You know, there's kids there that are racing that are really doing it because that's their dad's what their dad wants to do and kind of like their dad's dream and stuff like that. And it, it's like it's hard, man, because like even though like I've I've presented the opportunities to my kid and um 
he's just like he's really into martial arts, man. That's what he does. And he plays baseball and soccer, but they'll tell you like what they want to do. You know what I mean? It's like that they won't shut up yeah. about it until you let them do it. So it's it's kind of weird, like what I'd want them to do, but at the same time, what they're doing are a little bit different. So it's uh it's hard sometimes, you know what I mean? But uh, I mean you know that you yeah, got to do I, it too. Yeah, I, I try to be I try not to pressure them into just doing what what I want them to do. You know what I'm saying? Because like, yeah. I want them to fully enjoy their childhood, and I don't want them to feel like they're pressured into doing something just because they feel like that will make Dad happy. So I right. try my best to make sure, like, is this something you really want to do, or do you want to go do something else? Like I tell Gavin, I used to tell Gavin all the time, you know, but we can try football or something else. You don't have to do racing just because Jack is doing racing. But he wouldn't be talked out of it. He was just like, "No, this is what we're doing." <laughs> right. No, I'm with you, man. That's how it works. It it's uh it's fun to see them though, too, man. You know, even though they're doing the same things, there are a lot of people from the outside. I know with my boys, they always, you know, oh, there's so much alike, and they are. But when you're around them all the time, it's like, man, they're they're a lot alike, but there's so many different like little idiosyncrasies they each have and stuff like that. So yeah, personality wise, yeah, man, they are just completely on two sides of the spectrum like jack is very like uniform like i tell people all the time jack is the type of kid where like you could put him like when he was four years old you could put him in the front yard and tell him do not leave this front yard you could go to work for 12 hours <laughs> back, and he was in the front yard gavin would be walking out of the front yard while you're telling him this right you know, he's a little bit of a spark plug yeah definitely um so let's get back to so let's talk about um something i really wanted to talk about with you is kind of uh not only taking data in you know from race day or from your racing but also kind of like how you use it or how people can use it as far as kind of improving their program yeah. and um and i know you know you sent me a couple of spreadsheets and a couple of google documents that i've had and, and i'm sure that um you know i think we talked about it. you might be able to even put a couple things out there that I can share on the page where people can actually go and, and kind of have, not that they're going to do everything you're doing or you're about to talk about, but I would, I think it's beneficial for people to hear it and kind of just get the ball rolling, maybe to help their own personal program on whatever they decide to do. But um, just kind of like, kind of give me like an overview of kind of like how you use it and, and what you use it for. And then I'll try to kind of ask some, ask some questions as we go along. Well, I will say this is that I feel like in, in my opinion, what the Micron five can do is very much equivalent to the microscope being invented in laboratories. You know, like it gives you an up close look at what the go-kart is doing on the racetrack. Like in it, in it, and it's like, um, it helps it communicate with you because a good friend of mine, Randy Garner, will tell you, you know, if you pay attention, the go-kart will tell you what it wants or what it needs. And it, and it kind of, it helps that communication line between you and the go-kart. Um, you know, what I use the data for is um, basically, you know, how, how what's the best way to explain this? So, I don't know if you remember, like, back in, back in the 90s, you know, our our tacks were just that they were tachometers and they would, you know, they would record just the maximum RPMs and like your head temperature. Right. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the the Micron does that stuff, but it also, man, it has like different kind of sensors and stuff like that where it reads like G's, it reads, you know, like your GPS speed around the whole racetrack. So if you have two laps that are like both, you know, 14 second laps, you know, that are half tenth from each other, it will show you where you're fastest and where you're slowest at on the racetrack and how the two laps compare to each other. You know, if you have a different setup or a different set of tires on one or the other. Um, so, I, you know, what I normally do is is when they go make a run, you know, I'll when they come back in, I'll download all that information from the Micron to a laptop. And then I pull it up. And then I, you know, not only look at the times, but I look at where the go-kart's slower or where the go-kart's faster and which area of the track that needs to be improved upon. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, yeah. the um, but yeah, and that's kind of you know it helps. I feel like it helps me narrow down, you know, um, patterns and tendencies. You know, it helps me make the most of of the most um, valuable thing that we have at the racetrack, which is track time. You know, mm-hmm. like, like I mean. I feel like that's the most scariest thing you have at the at the racetrack sometimes, you know. So I feel like it 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 helps it helps you make the most of it. You know, okay. you gather as much information as you possibly can, you know. Right. And how <clears throat> so how do you use that data like once um let's just say like in the middle of the corner you're slower on one one run compared to the next. Like what is like what is that what's the first thing that you would adjust or what does that kind of tell you or what is some of the data that you are reading on that? Like, what is that telling you that you've learned from your experiences so far? Well, um, well, a couple of things I look at, right. Is like one, like your RPM drop, like the, most people will look at the micron and they'll, and they'll just see like, Oh yeah, my RPM drop is three fifty. Well, that three fifty might be on, on one turn and the other turn you only have like 80, you know? So, so then I started looking, you know, well, how can I, I might want to give up 50 more RPMs on this one turn to gain 100 on this one. And so from that, then I start looking at um, lateral Gs, how much Gs the go-kart's pulling, which means how much the go-kart's rolling over on the right side tires. Um, and then I kind of compare that with like uh, with like the, um, the, what they call the speed trace, which is the mile per hour around the turn. And that, that kind of gives you an idea of how the go-kart's rotating. You know, is he having to put a lot of steering wheel, you know, to get the go-kart to rotate, or is the, rota- or is the go-kart rotating without a whole lot of steering wheel input? Mm-hmm. And then from that, that point, you know, you start looking into, well, does it have a slight push? Is it tight? You know, is it loose? You know, and then you kind of start kind of looking to where you, do I need to add, add bite, or do I need to take bite away? Um, another thing you can look at is like, um, Roll speed. Roll speed's a big deal right now. You know, one set of tires might have more roll speed than the other. You know, I've seen um, on some instances where one tire might be faster around around the turn, right? But another tire accelerates more down the straightaway. You know, and just kind of looking at the different, you know, roll speeds from each different set of tires. Like, I think the first graph that I kind of sent you was like a roll speed graph where it was, you know, two different sets of tires that were in the same, um, had the same things done to them, 
You know, everything was the same except the the sets were different. And one at 350 foot accelerated almost four mile an hour more than the other ones did. Mm-hmm. That's before gear takes over or anything. You know, from from the start, from pulling out the grid to that point. You know, right. Okay, and where <clears throat> if you let me see how I can word this. If you're someone that's kind of new to this, but you're, you know, you're going to download all the information, uh, just like you're a local guy, you're just not real familiar with even like what you're looking for. What, what would be the one, uh, I guess, input or data input that you would start kind of looking at and trying to kind of correlate with your runs at first? Like what, what would be the one, I guess the one, data point that you would really start at and then kind of spread out to as you get familiar with kind of what's going on in your Uh, opinion in my opinion the most valuable one is the speed trace you know where it shows you the mile per because that's what it's all about right speed so Mm -hmm. that's where like the micron four and the micron five differ where the four had just like a beacon that was set up that you would just you know trip every time you came around the the racetrack the micron 5 has a gps sensor in in the unit so that allows you to see the whole track it far as you know where you're losing speed where you're gaining speed um so that's that's probably the the main thing i would look at okay and the obvious follow-up question where would you go from there um is it dependent on a class or is it pretty much like you would kind of follow the same, like you would look at speed trace, obviously, I guess in any class, but what would be the next one you would look at uh, if you had to pick one? Um, if I had to pick one, it would probably be probably the lateral G trace. Um, and, and again, because that just shows you, you know, how much the go-kart is rolling over on the right sides. You know, so, and that kind of gives you an idea of what the go-kart likes, you know, certain chassis, you know, want different things, you know, um, it's all physics, but like the way the chassis is designed makes it, you know, like more G's versus some doesn't like a whole lot of G's. Some, some don't want to roll over on the right side. Some of them, that's all they want to do, you know, so it kind of gives you an idea of of what that go-kart kind of wants. And then through that, you you know, you kind of almost have to start collecting the data points and then and then start start seeing patterns, you know, when the go-kart's fast versus when the go-kart's slow. You know, like, um, for instance, uh, we were at the racetrack one time and, and we went out and the, the racetrack was really good. And, you know, we were pulling, you know, almost two g's and then they wet the racetrack we went out and we were barely even pulling over one g you know and the go-kart went from being really fast to it couldn't even stay on the racetrack because it just couldn't roll over and create enough bite to turn you know so i would say that's probably you know the second in my eyes the second most important okay and and I think I mean you made a good point there where a lot of times when collecting data, I mean whatever whatever it is, it could be durometer tires or air pressure, 
you don't have to necessarily know what you're looking for when you start out. It's just about accumulating stuff. And like you said, eventually the patterns will stick out to you and it'll start to make sense in some aspect, you know? Um, so I think that's just, like you said, I mean, that was a good point you made about it. It doesn't, you didn't have to know exactly what you're looking for. You just need to start collecting some data, you know what I mean? And then kind of see where that takes you. Right. Because, because every go-kart is different. Every, every, chassis design every tire is different you know all that stuff there's so many variables in racing um i compare racing most to do you ever play that that game battleship back in the day yes yes i did and racing is is very much like that right where you you know for when i was younger and i used to play the game i used to get beat all the time until i realized you're supposed to use the top part of the board to put where you miss at with the white little pegs mm-hmm and then once you realize that, then you know what doesn't work and it helps you hone into what does work, you know? And that's and and then at that point you start going through the game a whole lot quicker because you can pick it out because you know if if the B five doesn't hit a ship, you put it in, you know not to try B five again. Same thing yeah. in racing, you know? You'll start you'll start picking up patterns. And with those patterns, you know, that's what will help you, you know, at least I think will help you improve you know or or be more consistent you know out of the trailer fast you know Mm -hmm. no i agree man i think that as karting has evolved and and you you know even since probably 2015-16 it's as it evolves especially at the higher level or the you know state series or divisional series now it's um used to be able to kind of do a cookie cutter you know set up like kind of like a cookie cutter set of tires rolled it whatever you know 50 75 whatever it is and go out there and run pretty good but now it's like everything's gotten so much tighter speed wise that it's like you said every every little go-kart and i like i always said like you know it's kind of a good analogy you have with the battleship game is it's almost like its own little micro ecosystem and no matter what happens man if you change one thing well this is going to change something and it all kind of interacts and relates to itself so it's kind of hard to just tell someone what to do, you know. I am like I'm a big proponent of just going, seeing what they have and trying to work from there as opposed to being do X Y and Z and it's just going to get you where you want to go, you know. Yeah. I agree. I agree 100%. You know, through my years of racing, every every few years I feel like there's a technology jump, right? Like and and I'll explain what I mean like in the early 90s you know, or in the late 80s when you were, you know, when you started racing, everything was straight frame go-karts, you know, whether you were oval racing or road course racing, it was all straight frame go-karts. Well, in the, in the early 90s, it came out with offset go-karts, you know, um, with the Oval Express and then the, the Stalker. And that was a big, big technology. And it got to where if, if you were on a straight frame go-kart, you couldn't compete with the offset go-kart. You know, and then it went for a few years, and then the next big technology jump was was small tubing to big tubing, right? And it got to a point where you couldn't compete with a small tubing go-kart against a big tubing go-kart. You know, and then it kind of goes on, goes on, and then, you know, you have a big technology jump you know, where they started putting chemicals on the inside of tires versus just wiping the outside of tires with chemicals. You had a big jump where, you know, you just couldn't, 
you couldn't compete with somebody that was putting chemicals inside versus the ones that were just wiping on the outside. And I kind of feel like this, you know, being able to, to, to get all this data information, I feel like is like the next big technology jump. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like back in the, 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 I hate to keep going. Like, I feel like such like old, you know, talking about back in my day, um, uh-huh. but back in, back in my day, like in the, the mid to late nineties, they used, you know, computers and stuff that they would drag sensors. I don't know if you ever saw this and put them on the actual sensors on the chassis of the go-kart themselves. And I don't know if they were like gyro sensors or whatever to try to record data from what the go-kart was doing off the racetrack. And then WKA came in and said, well, well, you can't, you can't have anything like that. Well, now, I mean, that's, that's kind of what the Micron does without you running sensors all over the go-kart. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So yeah. like it, it, it allows you to, to see things, you know, like I said, like a, like a microscope, you know, 150 years ago, people would look at their hand and go, well, there's nothing in my hand. Then all of a sudden you get a microscope and you realize there's a whole another world. Right. <laughs> that's living on your your hand that you don't even realize you know yeah no i i agree man and actually um so i recorded with with luke mcgee and um he does mcgee motorsports mcgee racing engines he does a lot of the higher horsepower stuff and and uh you know when he when he came from missouri and and austin yarborough and jamie cannot ran his motors at the big o last year and and he kind of touched base on the micron five too as far as how he was using it for some of the moisture sensors or something like that with the higher horsepower carbs and stuff, you know, adjusting the motor, you know, even yeah. going from Missouri to here. And, um, it, level, it so. yeah, exactly. And, um, so it's kind of, I mean, it's definitely like having the tools and then trying to understand them and stuff. Definitely. It's if you can, and if you do take the time and there's probably not a better time than right now, I mean, we are, yeah, you're not you know, we're it. right in the middle of a Corona, or, you know, a Corona epidemic or epidemic and, just with everything going on. So, I mean, you know, now's the time to, and I always, I always did it during the winter. It was, it was kind of nice being up in the, you know, in the mid Atlantic where we did get the winters off and anymore, there's guys and probably where you live. I mean, there's people that just, they don't stop racing all year long. And um, sometimes yeah. you, you miss a chance to kind of like maybe catch up on some technology and even take a break from, from bad habits, not just, you know, taking a break from racing. So. Well, it allows you, it allows you time to reflect, you know, like it, it allows you to, to kind of look back and go, okay, what went good and what didn't go so good, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're like going every week, it's kind of hard to see that when you're in the middle of the fight, you know, in the middle of the, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to, to, to see that, you know? So, yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree, man. I am. Um... I always say the biggest hack in go-karting is having a kid or taking a break. And a lot of times they kind of come together. Um, but I just, you know, taking a break from getting away from the bad stuff and having time to think about it. And then, you know, having a kid just kind of, for me anyway, as far as approaching tires, it just gave me a little more patience and kind of let me uh, stick to the game plan, so to speak, you know, instead of just chasing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, man, if, you know, I've I've been in many situations where you get to the racetrack and like it kind of goes sideways and you find yourself just just chasing stuff. You know, mm-hmm. that's very easy. You know, when, especially when something doesn't go right. You know, you kind of get off in the left field. 
sometimes you just, it's hard to find your way back. Yeah, it is, man. Sometimes you just have to kind of regroup. And uh, I've seen the guys, you know, they'll run. It's weird, man. They'll be doing the same thing, but they'll put together a new go-kart. And, you know, if they don't run good on it, they'll just keep on selling them until they find a good one. But it's like it's almost like it, they almost have to wait till the season kind of changes and kind of comes to what they're doing, you know, to make everything work sometimes. But uh, Yeah. No, but uh, anyway, so I guess uh, kind of um, – so we've been going for about an hour now or so, so we're kind of starting to get to the end. But um, kind of just touching base on like from a parent aspect of it, like what are some of the conversations that you have – you know, with you do have a background in go-karting and motorsports. Like what are some of the conversations, uh, especially like when your, when your kids first got started and maybe even now – uh, that you have with them as far as how to approach driving or racing or sportsmanship or, or all three of those and, you know, combine um, just out of curiosity. Well, um, well, one, I, um, I talk about how, you know, it's, it's easy to win, you know, it's, and what I mean by that, it's easy to be, to have a great attitude when you're winning, you know, because everybody loves winning, right? You know, it's it's easy to be happy, you know, feel accomplished when things are going right, you know. But uh, a good friend of mine, Randy Garner, told me one time, he's like, the people will watch you more when you're lose, you know, how, how you act when you're losing and things aren't going right for you. Um, so, I, you know, I try, try to instill in that, you know, when the weekends that, that aren't going the best, you know, and sometimes – you know, you have a lot of weekends in a row like that. Sometimes you don't, but like whenever it's not going like it's supposed to, you know, always have an, an attitude of gratitude or, or, you know, always be thankful for what is going right. You know, um, my family, we are very, um, we are very people of faith. You know, I believe in Jesus Christ and, and I, I, I teach my boys to always have an attitude of gratitude. You know, if somebody is helping, like if, you know, a lot of times we go racing with, with Randy and Cody Garner, you know, and, and they'll they'll be helping us with tires and, you know, helping us a lot. And even if we don't get the result that we want, it's important to, to have gratitude, you know, to have people that, you know, don't have to help you, but choose to help you. Um, you know, I, I talk to them a lot about, you know, sometimes, you know, adversity is what builds character and, and builds um, perseverance. You know, I, uh, you know, because again, life is not easy. You know, racing is not easy. You know, so sometimes you have to be able to, to walk through the fire to kind of get where you're going to. Sometimes success just doesn't happen, you know, right off the bat. Sometimes, you have to go through a growing to be able to get the, the long-term success that you desire, you know? So I talked to him a lot about that is, is being determined, you know, keeping your eye on um, driving wise, you know, I, I do try to give him advice on, you know, different situations and try to give them as much, much experience as I can. But, you know, we talk a lot, you know, about, about, you know, how you drive, you know, how to, to, to manipulate the go-kart when the go-karts are not reacting like you want it you know if it's got to push you know try to go in a little bit wider in the turn you know if you go in too low it'll start it'll make the go-kart want to push out and then you know we'll, we'll take 
you know, a lot of the data that we get from the Micron because it it will do GPS driving data, which gave you one of those graphs where it shows you where you're driving on the racetrack. And we'll take that, and especially if we have, like, a video of the weekend, you know, and I'll show them, you know, if you come out the turn low, it killed a half a mile an hour to a mile an hour versus when you came out a little bit wider. And then we look at it on the videotape. So they kind of know where, you know, when they come back next time, how to how to correct it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I like that, having a video. And even if they don't look at it, but just, like, you kind of be able to compare – stuff like that i like that a lot and um and yeah man that's a great message dude as far as uh, like what what to tell your kids and stuff because it's there's only a couple um ron moon and todd miller's out there you know what i mean so it's um you have to be humble and kind of take it you know take it the best you can when you can because pretty soon you know there's always somebody kind of lurking that's going to work you know maybe a little bit harder to try to find that extra tent so yeah straight up man yeah and there's always somebody better out there. Yeah, definitely. Even uh, I think it's hard enough to get to the top, but to stay on top and the amount of work it takes is um doesn't matter if it's at your local track or on the highest level, man. It it takes work at every level, you know. So um and kind of kind of like a random question too, uh um if, I mean you can remember how you felt like when you won races back when you raced. And you know you're running around and chasing the flag. How does that compare to your child winning and having him, even if it doesn't have to be the biggest race, like you know his first win or his first state race win or whatever? Um, like how how does that compare if it does at all? Um. Oh man, I you know I don't think I've ever really kind of thought about it. <laughs> um. <laughs> I feel like I probably get a little, little bit more satisfaction now than what I, what I did then, you know, um, because, you know, as a father, you always want to see your kids do good. I mean, you know, you really do. And so I, I would say I, I get more, I get more enjoyment, you know, watching him, you know, you know, Jack or Gavin, you know, succeed and see how they feel like they're accomplished. I feel like, I feel like that means more to me. I will say this is that, you know, I always thought that, you know, it was always more nerve wracking for me when I was driving than what it was for my father to watch. But that is not true. (laughs) Every time they go out there and I don't care if they're like the fastest thing on the track or the slowest, like, man, I feel like I'm going to pass out every single lap. I'm not going (laughs) to lie to you. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. Like I'm way more nervous now than I ever was when I was driving. Right. So does your, um, does your dad ever point that out to you? Now you know how it feels, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, he don't really say a whole lot to me, but he, he does every now and again, you know, say, that's what I'm talking about. He's like, <laughs> I got weak need. He's like, you get weak need. And that's the truth, man. Cause like when they slide sideways or spin off the track, like your heart stops, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, man, um, so you've alluded a couple of times to the charts that you sent me, and I'm, I'm definitely going to share them if that's all right with you, and that'll kind of give people some context of what you were talking about. And then 
I'm hoping that you'll be open to uh, if anyone wants to kind of reach out to you and maybe have a, a deeper discussion or conversation about some of those charts yeah, I mean, that I'm, you would be. Yeah, I'm I'm always down with like helping people, you know, stuff like that because I feel like a lot of the stuff, man, like God has blessed me uh, being able to understand some of the stuff. Um, so like I'm always, you know, willing to to help people understand. And if I if I don't know the answer, because there's a lot of stuff. Like the more I I learn about it, the more I realize I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like I, the deeper you get, the deeper you realize you have yet to go. You know. And so yeah, if anybody you know wants to contact me, I'll help them any way I can. Uh, one thing that I feel like um like God's kind of put on my heart that I kind of want to dive into is is chassis development and kind of you know i really love like r&d stuff man i feel like i could spend you know three days at the track just trying things you know so mm -hmm. like you know so if anybody you know wants to you know talk you know i'm i'm more than down pulling data and, and helping anybody out so right okay well i appreciate that i know uh, anyone else listening too and you're kind of alluding to um just a couple of minutes ago i was like one of my favorite quotes recently has and i I want to say it's Benjamin Franklin, but I could be definitely wrong about that. But it was um, like the more I learn, the less I know. You know, that's kind of yeah. uh, that's kind of how like I've my son's really into martial arts, and uh, that's you know he wanted to be a Ninja Turtle, and uh, that's I got into it too. So we've been doing that for four years, and it's like at first I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know, and but it's like now that I'm like deep into it, I'm like I don't know anything about this, you know, like it's just it's crazy the combinations and probably kind of how you were even like entering the business world. Like when you guys first started, just you thought you had a plan and you got in there and, you know, you alluded to that too earlier. It's like, it's a whole different world to actually do it than to, to learn about it or kind of see it, you know? Well, I, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent, man. It's, I feel like now at this point in my life, I know enough about racing to know I don't, I don't know anything about racing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Like, it just seems like the more the more you learn, the more you don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. it's just it's so much it's so much to know and it's so much to to yet be discovered about it. You know, because it just seems like every day somebody's finding something new that works that you didn't think would work two weeks ago. You know? Um, right. But straight up, yeah, I, I agree 100. percent You know, yeah. the so how, um, just kind of out of curiosity, we're we're near the end of March right now, and uh, we're going through the whole the lockdown and shutdowns um, for different states and stuff like that. We've been locked down for, I think, basically essential employees only for like two weeks now. School's been out for a while. I um, we actually had to push this back a little bit today because um, my wife's a teacher. She had a couple of things that she didn't find out about until first thing this morning about like e-learning and. And all kinds of stuff. So it's been yeah. super stressful. Um, how, how have you guys been making out? How has it affected you? You know, you personally, are you able to go to work each day right now? Or how is, um, how are like the, so, the rules and stuff? So, yeah. So my wife um, is, she is an administrator. Uh, she works for a, um, a management company that manages charter schools. Mm -hmm. um, and dude, yes. This whole thing has been like a whirlwind. It's kind of kind of turned the family upside down a little bit, man. And it has been like a, a very super stressful time. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because, you know, it's kind of like I was saying a little earlier, you can't go anywhere because everything's kind of on lockdown. Like last week, this is no lie. Like we got to a point where we were like, we just want to go get some food and eat it outside of this house. So we <laughs> went to a restaurant, got to go and ate it in the back of my truck, picnic style in the parking lot of the restaurant. You know, just <laughs> just to have like different atmosphere, you know, because you get stuck crazy, you know, and it's 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 been it's it's been a, a huge adjustment, and I I can't wait for this whole thing to be over. <laughs> yeah, you know? I agree. It's it's definitely just an from eerie a race point of view. Yeah, because I've never seen anything like this ever. You know, no, no, I agree, man. Someone exactly. was saying the other day, and on. Uh, I think actually Luke McGee man said that, and he had a good analogy. It almost kind of reminds you, like when you go out, at least around here, it's kind of like Christmas Day. You know, like a lot of stuff's closed. There's not many people out. It's like a a slower atmosphere out there. You know what I mean? Like everyone's not in such a hurry, and uh, it's kind of it's just very eerie. And you know, the unknown, like we were talking about earlier, the unknown is as a husband and as a you know as a community and as a father. It's that's that's almost the worst part. You know. Yeah, dude, like the, um, is, you know, I, I just don't even know how to explain it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's really, it's, it's just, it's, well, the, one of the pictures that I've seen that I think spoke the most to me was, you know, when you watch movies, you know, a lot of movies are based in California or whatever. And you see the five freeway. That's like the big, like eight lane freeway going into Los Angeles. Yes. Every movie that you see, it is like bumper to bumper, completely jam packed of cars, you know. And me and my wife, we we honeymooned in California, and that's like legit. That is like not a movie trick. Like it is for real, bumper to bumper on the five freeway, dude. They showed a picture on the news, and there is nobody on the five freeway. Like, like you see like a tumbleweed blowing down the road, <laughs> but, but I mean, that's how it looks, man. And it just, it's just, it's just, it's craziness. It is pure craziness. It is. I, um, I saw where some of the chassis guys down South have actually been, you know, they're not, they're determined not essential. So they're shut down. I mean, I don't even know if or how they're throwing, you know, sending parts out to their distributors and stuff, but, um, We'll all get through this, man. I think that I, I know historically it seems like you know a lot of people start off racing the year pretty heavy, then it kind of dies off a little bit in the summer. Um, you know, we don't even know like when school is going to get back in and how long that's going to be. But I think once once everything does break, I think that people are you know, especially all the people that travel, you know, all the money you're saving, you'll be ready to race every weekend for a while. So um, I'm sure it'll and it'll be end up pretty good at the end. I think. Yeah, I tell you, the only thing I feel like really in racing that's being affected right now that is hurting everybody's feelings is the tire is their tire rotation their tire cycle yeah <laughs> yeah pain of a tire cycle you know? yeah definitely you yeah, know and that's the bad yep no i agree and uh so we're so we're gonna go ahead and wrap up here but i want to give you an opportunity if there's anyone um you know in general either from when you raced or when you kind of got back into it that has you know helped you out or anyone you want to give a shout out to or anything else that you want to say um you know, feel free to go ahead and, yeah, and uh, put it put it out there. You know, one, you know, I want to thank 
you know, the Lord Jesus, I mean, his provisions and blessings have been amazing. Um, Randy Garner and Cody Garner, uh, those guys, man, are the most legit and genuine people you will ever meet in kart racing. And you talk about smart, like Randy is up there, is up there with the wrong on moons and stuff like that that cat has so much knowledge it is bewildering um you know when we first got back into it you know matt bell helped me out a whole lot you know he actually is the one that kind of showed me like what a tire program was versus back when i was racing um uh kevin thomas my best friend man he uh he's helped him help me out a whole lot and my father donald smith um but yeah man it you know I've just been overwhelmingly blessed with people that that have been willing to help me and help me uh, kind of get our program back up and running and in the right direction. I mean, you know, I, I'm very thankful for for you, man. This the podcast has been amazing. You know, I've I've listened to anything from Stephen Adams to Jody Miller. Man, uh, I think the Jody Miller one was probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. that that was that one was a good one yeah so. yeah i've uh you know there have been at first i started off a little more local to me and then kind of got out there but eat really each one of them in different aspects have been either like a life lesson that have been kind of passed on the people i hope like some of the younger guys that are listening and and some of the stories and, and even like us talking like some of the stories you we were sharing about travel with mark mode and racing back in the day like there's a lot of people that listen to it that they'll hear us mention a name and it sparks a memory for them. And I, I think that's kind of a cool part of it um, as well. And, um, you know, and so hopefully we'll keep on, uh, keep on putting these out. You know, i got a few people lined up to, to do some more, so we'll keep on going. And uh, I kind of want it to be almost like a little library that when, whenever I'm done, like people can kind of just look back and, and listen to them and, and gain something, rather it be this year or, or three or four years from now, you know, I don't, um, I think each one kind of contains some little nuggets in there for people to, to learn, you know, about life or racing or, or both, you know. Oh, yeah, or it just really even, you know, showing people how you can connect with people. Like from hearing your podcast for what I think it was named Chris Harris from Track Tag, yeah. Yeah. it sparked me to give him a call and ask him a couple questions on time. You know, like, so I, I feel like it, it kind of, in ways it breaks down walls you know what i'm saying where like some people won't go and ask people because they're like well they'll never tell me that's you know but right i feel like it, it really does tear down walls you know yeah it's been good and on you know something that you kind of bring up jody miller like and i've been wanting to do this i need to get a video if you remember on his podcast I kind of asked him because I mean, back in the day, and you know, I mean, like when it came to champ buggies, that dude was the man. And um, so, yeah, and, and and we did the podcast kind of leading up to the the champ max daddy that year. And I was like, hey, if you're leading on, you know, if you're leading the race or if you're in second, like, how would you kind of treat the last couple laps? And it was funny if I could voice him over the last two laps of the champ max daddy race. I mean, it literally, it all happened like exactly how he said it would happen. You know what I mean? It was like, and it was, it's just kind of crazy. Like these guys and like, if you really listen to them and Chris Harris or, or any of the guys really, man, when they're talking, it's, if you literally just listen to them and I always tell them like my, my younger brother races and I'm not like big time, but you know, more locally and regionally. And 
I tell him, man, grab a pen and paper and take notes. Like this is a class that you can get free information on that, you know, I mean, I, in my, I always look at it like you're paying a lot more for information than you can get here for free, you know, and in some aspects of your tire game or chassis and stuff like that. Um, and I, I kind of take pride in that. And it's, and it's really not even me. It's just me kind of starting the conversation and let people like yourself and, and whoever come on here and, and share their knowledge, like you said, to break down barriers and, and kind of introduce people to people and make connections. Yeah, I think you know, one thing I did learn uh, that I thought was funny with, with the whole Jody Miller. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was I was at work and I was on my lunch break and I pulled up YouTube, right? Right, and and I'm just you know searching racing, you know, just bored really. And I pull up Possum Kingdom and a champ buggy wreck of this cat Cartwheel. <laughs> down the front street and it ended up being jody miller i learned that on the podcast i was like get out of here that, yeah. that was him i was like man that was really bad <laughs> yeah yeah that's crazy man that's crazy but um again um david man i really appreciate your time i appreciate the conversation it was good to have some uh talk about some memories from back in the day and um you know anyone that'll that'll like kind of listen to this i'll be able to tag you on on Facebook and they can reach out to you and, and be able to find you there. And uh, again, man, if there's anything yeah, you want to say before we get out of here, feel free to do it. If not, then, um, then we'll be yeah, good man. to go. Thank, thank you again for having me on here. Uh, man, I, I've really enjoyed being able to talk with you and just kind of, you know, go down memory lane. Um, one person that I forgot to thank uh, was Roger Cadell uh, from AIM. Um, he's the national training manager, man. He really, took time to to kind of sit down with me and kind of show me a lot of like how race studios works and stuff like that man so i want to give him a, a shout out man just uh thank you again for for having me on here i really really appreciate it absolutely Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and this is coming out we're right in the middle of the whole coronavirus thing so just hoping everyone's healthy uh, be responsible try to keep people in mind whenever you're doing stuff i know you're not going to stay home and and lock yourself in a room but if nothing else get out work in your yard get all the little things done on your go-kart that you probably didn't have a time to do and uh, that way when you're ready to go racing uh, hopefully you win a big race so you can be on the podcast so take care everyone bye <laughs>